Well, pray for Pastor Kurt. You know, with these sexist comments, we've we've had to get him a counselor. And no, I, I'm kidding. Uh, great to see you today. Uh, it's a great opportunity for us to come together. We want to talk a little bit today about the rich young ruler and uh, some of his philosophy, maybe some of his theology, and um, where he went wrong. So uh, let's bow together and begin. Father, thank you today for your word and for the fact that you gave it to us so that we could be edified by it. And we thank you that we can look into it, we can study it, we can read it, and you grow us through it, you teach us through it, and you enable us to make richer our relationship with you and with your son Jesus as a result of your word. So as we come to it today, Father, we pray that you will encourage us. We pray that if there's some of us who need you to speak into our lives, that you will do that today. And we pray that we will walk away uh, feeling much uh, more confident about our relationship with you because you spoke to us today. So we sanctify this time for you to work in our lives, and we pray that you'll do that, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start with Hebrews chapter 9, verse 10. And I want you to understand that when this verse was written, it takes into consideration all the worship practices of the Old Testament. It takes into consideration uh, the entire Levitical system. And so let's put that verse up on the screen. Since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. Circle the word reformation. It's a word which means um, to have a new order. It's a word which means to have an improvement. And this passage is talking about the whole of the Levitic law. It's talking about the whole of the worship practice of the Old Testament. And you have to know that the Levitic law itself and the worship practice of the Old Testament was always pointing toward something else. It was pointing toward the reality of God's Son coming and being the literal fulfillment of all of that. And uh, here he tells us there is a reformation coming. There is a new order coming. And you might remember that Jesus said at the communion time, at the Last Supper with his apostles, this is the new covenant in my blood. So there's a new system now. And this system is a relationship with the God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. Um, 
we would like to talk about the three errors made by the rich young ruler. And these are not uncommon, I think, in our own day. And that's why I wanted to speak to them today. And I think at least the last one plays a very important role in us as a church now, where we are and where we stand. We may, I don't know, we may in the near future have a new pastor. But whether it's the near future or the not-so-near future, the reality of it is when he walks through the door, what he finds will be the determination of where our church goes after that. So that's what kind of what we want to talk about. And I want to go to Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. And if you follow along while I read, the text is in your outline. Take your outlines out of the program. You will need them. Uh, Speaking of Jesus, it says, As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him. Circle the word knelt. Uh, it's the Greek word pateo. In this case, it's a, it's a, um, a verb to kneel down. But pateo is the word we get, or a petos is the word we get our word patilla from. And it refers to the knee. Now, I have one real patilla and I have one fake patilla. <laughs> Some of you can say the same thing. Some of you have two fake patillas. I don't know. But but the whole idea of kneeling is that uh, this word uh, patilla means to kneel. And so he knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? There's no... Uh, No one is good except God alone. Now, you have to stop and think about that. Uh, It's kind of a play on words. Uh, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Of course, Jesus is God. And so uh, he is confronting this fellow uh, in in the start. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Uh, the word for steal is klepto. Klepto. We get kleptomaniac from that. Someone who steals. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And this young guy said to him, Teacher, these all have I kept uh, from my youth up. Now you have to understand, he's speaking to Jesus Christ, who can look beyond the face, who can look inside the body and see the heart, and knows more about this guy than he knows about himself. And this guy stands before Jesus and says, I've never told a lie. I've never told a fib. I've kept these laws from my youth up. 
So um, he really thinks that he's done what God requires. And then it says, looking at him, Jesus felt love for him. You can imagine. Jesus looks at this guy. He says, well, he thinks he's okay, but he's really not okay. And it makes me have compassion on him. So he had love for him. And he said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So if you sell everything that you have, give it to the poor. There will be eternal results for that. There will be treasure in heaven because you deal with treasure here on earth. Because you deal rightly with the things you have now. God will give you an eternal treasure as a result of that. Keep that in mind. And the text says, but at those words, he was saddened and went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. See, this guy is not unlike many people in our world today. We think the way you have a relationship with God is motion by devotion. Motion, I mean devotion by motion. You, we think that the more we do, the greater we will have a relationship with God. The more we do, the closer we are to God. We think, how much do I do? Where do I do it? How much is enough? And what can I do next? And that's what this young fellow is thinking as he approaches Jesus. Somehow, he thinks he has to do something, and he doesn't know how much that is. And Jesus looks at him, and in love, Jesus sees the good, the bad, and the ugly. He sees a guy who's, who wants to be right, but he sees a guy that's looking in all the wrong places to have a relationship with God. So let's take a look at our outline. Here's his first error. His first error is, what I have is enough to have a right relationship with God. So he came and he said, I've done all of these. I've practiced all of these. What I have is enough to have a relationship with God. And he had a lot. There was a lot that this guy had. And uh, I can't tell you how many times I have been sharing the gospel with somebody and they say, you know, I've always been good or I've always tried to be good. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't stolen anything. I'm not a thief. And somehow in their mind, they think that's okay. But also intuitively, this guy knew there was something wrong. And so he says, what do I have to do? Jesus tells him. And he's grieved. And, and so what did he have? Well, he was rich to begin with. In other words, he had material possessions. He was wealthy. He had a lot of money. 
Money's like fire. You can use it for good stuff or you can use it for destruction. And in this case, he had a lot of it. He was young, which means he had potential. His future was ahead of him. I can't tell you how many times I have sat across the desk from a younger person who's depressed, and I say, don't you understand? You have your whole life ahead of you. You have your whole life ahead of you. You have potential that has not yet been tapped. He was a ruler, which means that he had meaningful prestige. He was a leader, probably influence, significant influence over circumstances and maybe people as well. He was humble. He fell on his knees before Jesus. See, others who came to Jesus, they wanted to trick him. They wanted to argue with Jesus. They wanted to trap Jesus in some sort of theological or philosophical discussion in some way. Not this guy. He comes and he falls on his knees before Jesus. So he is humble. He is spiritually sensitive. He wanted eternal life. He wanted to have a relationship with God. And not only that, he's a moral man. Um, he kept the commandments. Um, you know how hard it is to share the gospel with a guy who's really moral? One of my best friends uh, was a really moral guy. I mean, he didn't know the Lord, but our kids were little. Our kids played together. And this guy and I had a good friendship, and uh, he never used a dirty word. He was a good dad. He was a good husband. He was a moral man all the way around, and I thought, how am I going to share the gospel with this guy outside of telling him the truth that the Bible says he's a sinner, that we're all sinners, and we fall short of the glory of God? Well, while I was scratching my head, one day, only once, only once, he came to hear me preach. And I gave an invitation, and he came forward and on the first row of chairs, I led him to Christ. <laughs> because, because even in his morality, he intuitively knew that he did not have a relationship with God. And that's where this guy is, see. And so, even though he's a moral man. So, uh, but he thought what he had was enough to have a relationship with God. Here's error number two. If what I have isn't enough, I can do more to earn my way to heaven. So he knew intuitively something was wrong. And so he's asking Jesus, what do I do next? Or what next do I have to do? Remember, we started there. We're saying, in our culture, somehow we think we have to do something. And so much of Christianity even has been perverted by a do kind of salvation. See, um, sin is all the bad things we have done and all the good things we fail to do. 
like when we fail to be gentle or we fail to be forgiving or we fail to be patient or we fail to be truthful. The fact is, no matter whether we are outward, awful sinners or not, we are still sinners before God. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, it says this, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And there in Romans 3.23, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, the word for fall short is the Greek word hustereo. Hustereo. That, that word is important to me. Um, I've told some of you that when I was 12 years old, I fell in a strip mining hole. And it was 75 feet straight drop. There were no sides in it. It was straight off. And us kids used to like to go up there and we would roll rocks, and this particular one was a good one, because they fell straight off, and they hit the rocks below, and there was a big pool, in fact, I learned later, it was 50 feet deep, of yellow sulfur water. And these rocks would crash into that water, and it was spectacular. I mean, you pay to see fireworks like that. Us kids created our own. And my dad told me, don't you ever go up there. But I did. And uh, and I was up there one day, and there was this crack in the earth, and there, but there was a rock right over there that was just aching to go in that hole. So I stepped across the crack, and I shoved. I, I had to push. It was a big rock. I had to push hard to push that rock. And when I did, the whole piece broke off. Now, I don't remember much of what happened that day, except I do remember this. I remember that I jumped for the other side. And when I did, I remember the tip of my foot hitting the other side. But that's all. And I went with it. And I fell 75 feet straight drop into this canyon. Broke everything in the left side of my body. Landed on the left side. And missed a year of school. Because of it. And the result was that the only thing I remember was uh, hustereo, fall short. That's what that word means. See, when people think they can do something to have a relationship with God, what's happening is they're trying to jump a chasm and they may be touching the other side, but they never really make it. And that's precisely what happened to me. See, we do our rituals, we do our things, whatever it is that our religion demands of us, we do, but we never really reach it. You know what a ritual is. It is something you do repeatedly and finally hope it is enough. We keep doing the rules. We keep doing the rituals. We keep doing those things that we're supposed to do, but they are never really enough. And while our toe might hit the other side, it never reaches. You know, 
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. See, it isn't that I can work my way to heaven. It isn't that I can do something to please God. It isn't that I can do something to get saved. It's because of the grace of God that he chooses to save me through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Look, religion is always about what you do. Christianity is about who you know. Religion is about what you do. Christianity is about who you know. This relationship with God is based upon how well I know Jesus as my Redeemer. The rules won't work. The doing won't work. God came to us. We didn't go to Him. And so, this relationship with Jesus is what makes it possible for us to be saved. In Romans three twenty-one and 22, we read this. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifest. See that? The righteousness of God was manifest separate from the law, separate from the Levitic uh, workings, separate from the Old Testament worship. The righteousness of God came to us, the Lord Jesus Christ, was manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there's no distinction. Jesus then becomes the bridge. See, Jesus becomes the one who makes it possible. If if there was a bridge across that spot that day when I was 12, I might have made it back. Uh, if there was a bridge there, but the bridge probably would have been going too, but, but I might have I might have made it. Jesus is our bridge. He is the bridge across the chasm from where I am in my sin to where I can stand in proper, right relationship with God, knowing that I'm going to heaven. He is the only solution. A.W. Tozer said, Jesus is not one of many ways to approach God, nor is he the best of several ways. He is the only way. Now, I know it's not politically correct in our culture to say that there's only one way to get to heaven. I know that people react when they say, there's only one God, only one God. I know that uh, uh, people get frustrated when they say, there's only one way to reach God, and that is through Jesus. But that's what the Bible teaches is that Jesus is the only way to reach God, the only way to have a relationship with God. 
And if we are going to be people who are going to walk with God, we're going to be people who have placed our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and you say, I'm not exactly sure that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. The way you take care of that is to say, today, I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to forgive me of my sins. That is it. See, you can't do anything to get saved. If you could, I'd say, give the preacher a million dollars. But you can't do anything to get saved. See, the only thing the only thing that there is, is Jesus. And when we say, I believe he died on the cross and rose from the dead to forgive my sins, and I accept that, that is salvation. Let's look at point number three. His third error was when he said, I can trust Jesus with part of my life and still be completely right with God. I can trust Jesus with part of my life and still be completely right with God. Now, this is where we come to a place where I think it is critical in our day. This is where we come to a place where I think it's critical for us as a church. Because what we tend to want to do is give God some of our life, but not all of our life. You know, I love not knowing where I'm going to be tomorrow. I love not knowing where I'm going to be preaching next month, uh, or the month after that, or whenever. And the reason is, is that there's nothing more comforting than to know that you are where God wants you, that you are in the center of God's plan for your life. There's nothing better than that. And the only way for that to happen is when I say to God every day, God, I want you to own me. There's nothing that I have that I, that I want to keep for myself. I want you to take it. See, what we do is we tend to give him some of our relationships. We tend to give him some of our relationships. If there's a relationship, if I had a relationship with another woman who was not my wife, God would say, give it up. God would say, give it up. I have to give up that relationship. We give him some of our time, our agendas, and our schedules. I can't tell you how comforting it is to live by God's agenda. Um, and if if and that doesn't mean I don't set a, a, a schedule. It doesn't mean that, that if you set an appointment with me to take me out to lunch, hint, hint, no. Uh, I, it doesn't mean I'm not going to put that in my schedule. But what it does mean is if that doesn't happen, if you don't show for some reason, I'm not going to get upset because that's in God's plan, see? God's in charge of that. I'm not in charge of it. Not even are you in charge of it. God is in charge of it. And when you walk around every minute of every day realizing that what's going to happen in the next minute is in God's plan, and if you, my job is only go with that. My job is not to combat that. 
So I have to give him my agenda and my schedule. Sometimes I don't give him all of my past. I buried a lady on Thursday morning, 61 years old, a dear friend of ours. She had a horrible past. Uh, But she lay dying for weeks at the University Hospital in Seattle. If you could have talked to her, you would have never known she had a horrible past. When you... When you, uh, when you grieved with her in her presence, she'd pat you on the hand and say, not to worry, I'm in God's hands. God will take me when he's ready and not before. You don't have to worry about it. But sometimes our past kills us and takes us years into depression and, and frustration. We can't let go of some of our past. Sometimes we don't let go of our future. Sometimes we only give him some of our money. And you've heard people say, you know, you better give him all of your money because it was all his to begin with. And that's true. But let me remind you that your relationships, your time, your past, your future, and your money all belong to him. It all belongs to him. There's none of it that doesn't belong to him. In Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, we read these words. For the eyes of Yahweh move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Circle the word completely. It means totally committed. It means completely his. It means everything that you have or think or do is His. It means you've given everything to Him. Maybe as you take communion this morning, that's a thought that needs to come into your heart and your mind. There's something I've been holding back from God. I need to give it to Him. You may know what it is. I I don't know what it is. And uh, I know what it might be for me. You might have to give that to him today. You know, I think some people are very decisive when it comes to making decisions. Uh, I think people, some people, other people are very decisive when it comes to avoiding decisions. And God may be asking you to make a decision today to give him a piece of your life that you know he doesn't own yet. John MacArthur said this, The Christian life is not adding Jesus to one's own way of life, but renouncing that personal way of life for his and being willing to pay whatever cost that may be required. That becomes incredibly important. See, it's not a matter of whether I'm going to live my life today. It's a matter of whether I'm going to live Christ's life today. So it all comes down to a battle of the wills. It's a matter of what I want instead of what does God want. Someone has said, I always do what I'm supposed to do except when I don't. I always do what I'm supposed to do except when I don't. 
And I think that so many of us find ourselves in that position when the preacher gets up and says, is there a piece of your life that you haven't given to God yet? Should you do it today? And you say, yeah, I know I'm supposed to. But you don't. Maybe today is the day to do it. What kind of commitment does God want from you today? Are you able to say to God as you take communion today, God, anytime, I'm sorry, anything, anytime, anywhere, with anyone, at any cost. That should become the model. Look, as we enter into a time where we may be receiving a new pastor, I think it's incredibly important that he walk through the door and find a congregation who are totally, unquestionably committed to Jesus Christ, where he owns everything about me, not just part of me. Let me give you a hard truth. When a church doesn't do well, it's not always the pastor's fault. When a church doesn't do well, it's not always because the staff isn't doing their job. Sometimes it's because there's a great number of people in the church who God doesn't own yet. And that brings in an environment into the church where God can't bless that church. So if Pastor Mike or some other pastor walks through our door, let's make sure that when we stand shoulder to shoulder with him, we know we are standing with somebody that God owns completely and understand that he owns us completely at the same time. Because it's only then that we will receive those heavenly treasures that God wants us to have. A little girl, five years old, is in the grocery store with her mom. And they're standing in the, in the checkout line. You, you moms know what that is. You, 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 some of you guys know what that is. And some of you have stood there with your children. And all of a sudden, this little five-year-old girl spies a package hanging and it's a package of a string of cheap plastic pearls toys she says mommy can i have the pearls she says no sweetheart we're not going to buy those today but mommy can i have them she said no sweetheart uh we're not oh mommy please can i have those pearls i love them And her mom says, no, they're only junk, and I'm not going to spend my money on that today. You can hear yourself, can't you? And the little girl says, but mommy, I have my money. I'll spend my own money on them. Is that okay? Well, the mom recants and says that she can have them. So this little five-year-old girl digs into her little patent leather purse, and she pulls out every dime she can find, $2 and enough to make up the tax. She's now poor, but she has these cheap plastic toy pearls. 
and they're going out of the store, and she's already trying to tear the package open. They get in the car, and she gets it open, and she puts them on, and she doesn't take them off. She wears them every day to kindergarten. She wears them outside to play. She wears them in the bathtub. She wears them to bed. And some days later, her dad was in the room, and he was tucking her in at night. And while he was tucking her in, he said, Sweetheart, do you love me? She said, I do love you, Daddy. He said, Would you give me your pearls? Oh, Daddy. She said, Why don't you take my rocking horse? You would like him better. And her dad said, Oh, that's all right, sweetheart. No problem. And he leaves the room. A few nights later, he's tucking her in again. She still has the pearls on. And he says, Sweetheart, do you love me? She says, Daddy, you know I love you. I love you lots. He said, Would you give me your pearls? She said, Daddy, take my dolly. She said, I'm getting too old to play with her anyway anymore. So you take my dolly. And her dad said, No, sweetheart, that's all right. Uh, I love you. He kisses her. Says good night. Some nights later, he's tucking her in. And he gets her all tucked in. He kisses her good night. And he's walking toward the door. He's almost to the door. When she says, Daddy, and she jumps out of bed, and she has her little fist clenched. And she walks up, and she says, Daddy, I love you. And she opens her hand, and she said, I want you to have my pearls. And her dad fell to his knees, and he said, Sweetheart, I've been waiting all week for you to give up your dime store junk so that I could give you a real treasure. And he reached in his pocket, and he pulled out a little velvet sack that contained a real string of pearls. Now, it may be a feeble illustration But that is exactly what Jesus meant when he said, the only way you will get eternal treasure is if you give it all to God. He's got to own it all. And the only way that a new pastor can function well here, and the only way that a church will grow here, is when every person sitting in the chairs, every person on the platform is owned completely by God. So this morning, when you take communion, perhaps in your heart of hearts and in your mind, you're going to think, there's this one thing God doesn't own yet, but I need to give it to him. Today's the day. Don't don't say, I always do what I'm supposed to do, except when I don't. Do it today. So that, From this moment on, God will know he has a church he can work in. Let's pray. Father, thank you today again for your word. I know this becomes very personal for all of us. I realize, Father, there are people in here 
who are totally owned by you. you. You own every part of them. But there may be a few of us, Father, and, and we've held back. And today, Father, we're saying we want you to own it all. And so, Father, we pray that you will do great things in us as individuals and in our church as well. Give us, Father, the ability to serve you every minute of every day, knowing that it is because you are in charge of every minute of every day. You are in charge of everything. And in the process of that, every minute and everything can get your blessing. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.